In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This weekend I had my brother-in-law's wedding, yesterday actually. And it was at Holy Trinity, and I was with Father Christos, who's one of the two priests there, the second priest. And as we were talking over a meal, he said, this little pearl, I wanted to share it with you. He tells the story of a famous Greek author uh, in the 20th century. And this author, he wasn't particularly religious, but he went to Mount Athos. And he went to a monk, and he said to the monk, so tell me, what do you do here all day? What do you, why, why, why are you here? And the monk said, every day we fight against, you might be able to guess what he said next, Jesus. Every day we fight against Jesus. This is what the monk said. Look at the profound humility and reality of what he said. Every day we fight against Jesus. Is this not true? You see, the gospel today is the story of us. It's a pretty horrible story, if you were listening closely. This man who rightfully owns a vineyard and built everything to make the vineyard work lent it out to people. And when he asked for his payments, like his rent payments, if you will, in the form of wine, instead, they beat his servants and they killed his servants again and again and again. Until ultimately he sent his son and he said, they'll respect my son. And they killed his son. And we know this parable very well as a parable of the story of Christ and of the prophets of the Old Testament and how the, the Jewish people, the leaders of the Jewish people, were killing the prophets, were stoning the prophets, and ultimately killed Christ. But we don't keep reading this parable each year so that we can remember what other people did hundreds of years ago. This parable is for us. Our fundamental problem in life is my will versus thy will. It's a battle of the wills, and this is what that monk was meaning, fighting against Christ. Because Christ is offering his will in the monk's life, or in my life, and I reject it. I prefer my will instead. We see in the example of the Panagia and of the saints where the person's will and God's will are perfectly united. So that there's one will, and that one will is no longer at war. And we see this especially in Christ, because Christ, who is fully God, was also fully man. And so he had his human will and his divine will. And we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he has this great torment about what he is about to endure. In fact, much of the early church, all of the, the great schisms and fights within the early church centered on who is Christ? Is Christ fully human? Does he have a will just like us? Did he have that internal battle within him, which he overcame? Indeed, he did. He has his divine will and his human will. So we are the same as Christ, except that we have a battle raging within us. 
And the good news is that it's not a new battle. This isn't something new that we are experiencing, but rather something that we can look to the example of hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people before us, who have had this exact same battle. My spiritual father often turns to the book of Exodus to talk about our spiritual life. And if you've read any of uh, Elder Zacharias's books, he talks about Exodus, that journey from Egypt to the promised land, and how that relates to our own spiritual lives. When you read Exodus, it's amazing to see how many times God performed miracles, and how many times, despite that, the people were doubting, doubting that he would provide for them. There's a wonderful psalm that I'll read a big portion of. It's Psalm 77 or 78. And the psalm tells the story of Exodus. The children of Ephraim did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law, and they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. But they sinned even more against him. By rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness, and they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give us bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? They did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna on them to eat and given them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas, and he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings, and they ate and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving. But while the food was still in their mouths, in spite of this they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. They flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert." Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from their enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt. The psalm goes on much more and talks about everything that he had done in the land of Egypt as well. All the different plagues that came upon the Egyptians until they finally let the people go. But the theme of this psalm is the theme of God's faithfulness and the people's, our, lack of faith, lack of trust in God. You see in this God's great mercy and his great patience. 
And as I said, it's not a story of the Hebrew people of the past, but it is our story, our exodus from my will to thy will. Our narrow prison of self-love from the for the promised land, the land of the other of my brother, my God. This is our exodus as human beings, not just as Christians, not just as Orthodox Christians, as human beings. It is our exodus from self-love to love of the other. And this is the journey which we all take part in. And it's a journey that we take Either willingly or unwillingly, it's what lies before us. We are all in the desert, and we're all looking back over our shoulder at Egypt, like the, the Jewish people did, saying, maybe we should go back there. Things weren't so bad there. And then, at times, looking ahead to the promised land, to what lies ahead for us. All along the journey, we fight against God, like the monks said, like those in the gospel today fighting against God and His will. Because submitting to God's will requires humility. The humility to say, I don't know what's best for me. We have to be vulnerable, we have to expose ourselves to whatever God wills. And this is very difficult, and this is why we fight against it. Saint Anatoly of Optina says, let us submit to God and humble ourselves. And the Lord will cover us. We will be holy. But until we humble ourselves and accept God's will, though we beat our heads against the floor doing prostrations, the passions will not diminish. We all want the passions to diminish. We don't want to be self-loving. We don't want to be angry, resentful, bitter, envious. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want that. And yet... We do. And this is our problem. We want the Lord to cover us. We want his protection and his guidance, like in Exodus, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, guiding us. And God desires this as well. But then we falter. And we falter. So how do we do this? How do we unwaveringly follow God's will? I'll offer a mere five things. You could say many more. The first is be to become like a child. Our Lord said, unless you become like a little child, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What we see from that is that in a child there is humble submission, a recognition of not being able to care for itself. This is the childlike nature which God desires in us. That we can recognize, I can't take care of myself. I need you, Lord. And this is what is required for us. So that humble submission of a child. Also, we need a lot of patience. <clears throat> Yoronda Samakrina, once when she was on a rare trip on an airplane, she was looking out a window and just amazed at the immensity of the ocean. <clears throat> and she said... This is like God's goodness. Our patience needs to be like this. Our patience needs to be as wide as the ocean. So that we can patiently endure whatever comes our way. <clears throat> because the next thing that is needed for us is to not ask why. 
This is something that blocks God's grace. Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to endure this? Why? And it sends us into so much turmoil and distress. It's not easy to not ask why. I know that. We have times in our life where the only question we can ask is why, why, why? But it doesn't get us anywhere. It certainly doesn't bring us peace. It often leads us to confusion to try and figure out different hypotheses about how this particular situation has befallen us. The next thing is to accept what is right in front of me. I'll give the little caveat that this isn't a blanket statement of all things in all situations. But for most of the time, in most situations, accept what's right in front of me. This means what is brought to us by our family members and loved ones, what we experience in our work setting, what we experience from our children, what we experience going down the street, anywhere. Accept what comes to us. See it as the work of a loving God, even if it's something painful and difficult. This is what the desert is like. You know, they didn't take a journey through a lush rainforest. They took a journey through a desert. And a desert requires a lot of things that the desert does not provide. Living in a desert requires water and food sustenance and shelter. And these are the things that God provided for his people. So there are many times that we are traveling in the desert. Times when we can't figure out how is this going to work? How am I going to get through this? But in our humble acceptance of it, knowing that God will provide, there will be a way out. We may not know what it looks like or when or how, but there will. And the final thing is that humility that I mentioned before. A uh, popular uh, blogger, Orthodox writer, says, the way down is the way up. The way down is the way up. When we humble ourselves, God exalts us and brings up, uh, us up into eternal life. When we humble ourselves. The opposite's also true. When we raise ourselves up, when we have pride and ego, we will be humbled. Humiliated is the word that we would use. But the way down is the way up. And this is true in the broadest sense as well. Where did Christ go? He went down into Hades to go up into heaven. And this is our journey as well. The way down is the way up. So I humbly offer these five things that we become childlike, that we have patience, that we not ask why, that we accept what is right in front of us, and that we seek to have humility. And in this way, we will be able to, like St. Anatoly says, to submit to God and humble ourselves, and the Lord will cover us. My brothers and sisters, let's not fight against Christ. Instead, let's join him and be united to him, so that he can lead us through this life, he can lead us through the desert, that we may inherit the eternal life in that promised land. Amen.
Let us all say. 